Good morning and welcome to another edition of Mornings with Matthew. I'm Matthew Tregesser and today I'm joined by Fairs Julia Post. How are you, Julia? Good. How are you, Matthew? Pretty good. Pretty good. So today we have a lot to talk about and I like to begin this week's podcast with a segment called The Weekly Number. In this segment, I choose an immigration number that I think is super important to talk about. And this week, I've chosen the number 284. Okay, so according to your immigration update this week, 284 illegal aliens were raided from a Texas telecommunications company by ICE, which resulted in the arrest of 284 illegal aliens, making it the largest ICE workplace sweep in a decade. Yeah, Julia, I mean, this was a crazy story. I mean, it was the largest... A workplace raid in a decade, and 284 illegal aliens uh, were apprehended. And what's interesting about this story is uh, over 15 nationalities were represented in this group. People were coming from Mexico, Nigeria, South Korea, and even South Africa. So it was a really wide range of, of different nationalities. But it, it's good to see that ICE, despite the backlash that they get and the criticism that they're making raids like this and ensuring that people are following our nation's immigration laws. So I see here that of the 284 arrested, only 110 remain in custody. Why is that? You know, this was something very odd that I saw in reports. And basically, they've been released for, quote unquote, humanitarian reasons. So I'm not really sure what that consists of or, or why they were released. But it, it's amazing that they have them apprehended and then they're just released, almost uh, half of them. And it's, it's another shocking item that I think it was kind of forgotten. I mean, you see the headline, 284 illegal aliens apprehended, but then, you know, only 110 remain in custody. Yeah, so it seems like ICE is ramping up their raids. I mean, according to this, is the largest sweep ever. And I wonder if we're going to be seeing more of these as the Trump administration continues to crack down on workplace. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was the largest uh, raid uh, in the past 10 years, which is still a very, very uh, significant but the fact of the matter is a lot of these companies that you're seeing across the United States, these big kind of corporations or companies, um, they're not implementing E-Verify, which is a free uh, federally maintained program that can be used to see the you know work authorization status of an individual. And it's a free program. It works 99% of the time. I mean, the fact that a lot of these businesses and corporations are not using it is just appalling. Well, and I think this is largely the reason that we're seeing such a buildup of migrants at the border, because although people are saying they're coming for humanitarian reasons, a lot of the migrants on the ground are admitting that they're coming for mm -hmm. economic reasons, looking for a job. So I know that FAIR has always been pushing really hard for a national mandatory E-Verify because it would cut off that jobs magnet and make it uh, less of an incentive for people to come here. Right. And I mean, it, like you said, it is a, a huge magnet. I mean, when the migrants and asylum seekers are coming to the U.S., they want higher wages, a, a full-time job, so they can, you know, send remittances back to their um, host countries. But if you would to cut off this magnet, it would definitely decrease the uh, surges that we're seeing. I mean, we, the United States has a very healthy economy, and it's clear that migrants want to be a part of this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, they have to come through a legal fashion. And if you're seeking asylum, that doesn't qualify for that either. You know, you have to be politically persecuted and that, you know, seeking economic improvement or higher wages is not a qualification for asylum. Well, I think this is one of the loopholes in the immigration laws that people are always talking about is that people come here, they claim asylum. And then, you know, why wouldn't they if they can come here and get a job and a better life and send money back to their families? I mean, obviously, you're going to take that opportunity for your family. 
Uh, so I don't even blame people that are coming here, but it really is on the businesses that are located in America to step up and to, you know, use E-Verify or if it's uh, based on the government too, you know, it's it's up to them to fix the system so that immigrants aren't coming here, migrants aren't coming here uh, and abusing the system at the expense of American workers. So I know we have like done a lot of uh, grassroots work on trying to get E-Verify implemented at the state and local level, uh, but it's something that still just cannot seem to get through at the uh, the federal, federal level. level. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I just hope that Congress can take this program seriously and, and make it a, a federal requirement long term. But, you know, for now, we'll just have to keep fighting on it. But it, it's certainly it's a magnet that's drawing these surges across the southern border. Yep. And now all we can do is hope that ICE will continue doing these raids and hopefully put some pressure on these businesses to adopt better practices and start hiring American workers. Those were some great points, Julia. Now let's transition to our next segment called the FAIR Update. So with the FAIR update, I want to bring up or highlight something that a department is doing internally at FAIR, a big project that we're working on uh, for the week. And Julia has been behind a brand new FAIR ad, and I think it's great that our listeners understand how you can see this ad and what it means for the administration and for FAIR. Yeah, so FAIR's development and digital teams have been working on an ad the last couple of weeks that focused on uh, the use of uh, legal immigration and worker visa laws that are uh, being increased in the country right now, despite Trump's um, speech against uh, legal immigration. So basically, we go back to the beginning of Trump's campaign in 2015. And in 2015, Trump was saying lower illegal and illegal immigration, but also lower legal immigration so that Americans have a chance to um, you know, go back to work and take the jobs in the economy and let the labor market tighten up, which we have seen in the last two years. Uh, you know, we've seen unemployment drop, more Americans going back to work, the stock market's doing really well. So recently, though, we've seen the, um, the apparition of the Koch brothers and other um, open, you know, free labor type uh, people. Open borders. Yeah, open, well, yeah. Open borders in a legal sense, so like legal immigration sense, they want more foreign workers, more mm-hmm. H-1B visas. And as we've seen them starting to work more closely with the White House, that's been a red flag for FAIR, especially since Jared Kushner has taken over really the negotiations mm-hmm. on building out a new immigration plan. Um, and you see these Koch brothers who, in the beginning, they refused to support Trump. They, re- they did not support him in the general election in 2015, 2016. Um, and now they're applauding President Trump, who at his State of the Union announced that he wants immigration in the largest numbers ever uh, coming to the United States. And also at CPAC, he announced mm-hmm. having larger numbers of immigrants, uh, legal immigrants come here to work, to fill factory jobs and to fill jobs that President Trump two years ago was saying should be reserved for American citizens. Um, so the ad uh it uses um, a common uh, campaign trick that Trump would do, which was to read this poem about a snake. And the snake would, um, it was a poem about a woman who found a snake on the side of the road and brought it in and cared for it. And once it was nursed back to health, it bit her. Mm-hmm. And she asked why. And Trump would use this as a metaphor to talk about illegal immigration and how you let people come in over the borders is just going to bite the American people in the end to have this bad system. So Fair uses this poem to flip the script on Trump and to say that actually it's these free um, low wages, uh, free labor, uh, foreign worker people who are like the Koch brothers who are coming in and they want to get the cheapest labor possible at the expense of the American worker. And they cause stagnating wages. And that really is the snake now that we're seeing come closer to the White House. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really unbelievable how he's transitioning to this stance that, you know, is in support of the Koch brothers and, the, and their foundations. But, you know, when he ran in the general election against Hillary Clinton, I mean, the number one thing that I think that stood out to a lot of people was the America first, hire the American worker type of Absolutely. policies. And to be transitioning away from that, I mean, I, I think that's really, really going to hurt him in 2020. And this was something that, it, you know, it's your your rock, your foundation of who's going to be you know, coming to your rallies, who's going to be voting for you come election day. And I really, I mean, I, I just don't understand why he would be trying to start going away from that. I mean, he was so against that, or at least not openly uh, for it. And now it, it's, you know, he's openly saying at, at these speeches saying we want as many people as we can to come in here. Uh, you know, we have so many job openings, but, you know, why not put those for American workers? Right. Well, I think what it reflects is a, a bifurcation really in the Republican Party because you have the old wing, the Bush wing, the establishment GOP um, who were for uh, legal immigration for cheap wages and cheap labor, uh, low skilled labor. And those guys really they weren't on they weren't really into the idea of reducing legal immigration ever. It's only Trump that brought that onto the mm -hmm. party platform. Um, and so you see this split because the Koch brothers, although they did not support President Trump in 2016, they did support a lot of Republican candidates um, who are more, they lean more towards the Koch brothers' agenda. Mm -hmm. So now the president's looking at 2020 and so are the Kochs and they're saying, you know, if you want us to help your party get reelected, because now Trump's not just his own man, he's mm -hmm. got a party, um, you know, they're saying that you really need to acquiesce to some of our demands on immigration and uh, letting more workers come into the country for the sake of the corporations. Right. Uh, but I think you're right. I think that's very dangerous uh, for Trump to be playing with fire like that so close to the 2020 election because his supporters, his base, and most Americans, I think, when you ask them, uh, would agree that more more immigration is not what this country needs right now. No. We do not need to increase it. We have a lot of people coming in, a lot of people that are already here legally, a lot of workers overstaying and you know, the unemployment rate is low, but it's not zero. Mm -hmm. There's still more Americans. And then on top of that, this is an opportunity that we should be taking to allow wages to rise. And you keep seeing these reports, you know, the economy is doing great, but wages really aren't going up. Yeah, I mean, they've been stagnated for decades now. And, you know, a large part of that is the, you know, importation of, of foreign workers. And so um, it, it really, it, it just bothers me that he's so vocal about, this border crisis, I mean, you know, just every day tweeting something about this. And then, you know, while it's important to secure the southern border with, you know, the barrier and, and technology, um, it's also important to look at the, the legal side of it. You know, if, if we're trying to curb numbers or decrease them to a healthy rate, you know, why do we want to be increasing H, H2B visas? And why do we want to be importing more and more foreign workers. And it just doesn't, it, it's a little bit of a, of a hypocrisy, I have to say. Yeah, and it really, it doesn't make sense when you look at the trends in technology and how many jobs are going to be automated in the next decade or two. I mean, when you're bringing in low-skilled workers who typically work doing manual labor or factory-type yeah. work, um, those jobs are going to be severely cut, right. regardless of if they're Americans doing them or foreign workers doing them. And 
when that happens, you're going to have a lot of people in this country that no longer have employment because it's really not reasonable to mm -hmm. expect that all of these people are just going to be able to transition over into college-educated jobs or, or jobs that require you to, to work in an office. You know, they're not going to all have the skills that are going to enable them to do that. Uh, and when that happens, there's going to be a lot of unrest, I think, politically um, for, from these people that, you know, it's, it's not their fault, but they're being brought into the country under the expectation that they're going to have a job and a way to make money here. Mm -hmm. But um, with automation, with robots, with more technology, I think just all around that's going to cause um, employment problems, even just for the American population. Right. Well, even professions that, you know, that are more white collar type of jobs, you know, with you know, computer science or finance or whatever it may be. I mean, why are these corporations wanting to hire foreign workers when there's people just like you and me, recent college graduates with you know, impressive internships, uh, a great resume, a, a great, you know, accredited university. And it's like, there's so many people who are, you know, millennials or Gen Z who they're unemployed because oftentimes, you know, they're being displaced by a foreign worker. And it's, you know, I, I guess, you know, we've been saying that the reason why these companies do it is for the, the cheaper labor or there's, you know, probably other uh, incentives as well. But it's like, you know, these are your people. These are American citizens. Why not look for, look out for your fellow Americans? But I think, Maybe people just aren't uh, that moral or... Well, I think it would be smart for our country as a whole to really take a lot of that money that's being invested in resources for foreign workers and illegal aliens and those sorts of things. Those programs should be redirected to investing in Americans and in, in, in our infrastructure, in our um, education and our development. You know, there's a lot of kids that don't get the opportunity to go to college, even in our own country, um, or they maybe could have gone to a better school, but they couldn't afford it. And you know, a nation is supposed to protect its people, and they're supposed to invest in the future of its people. And that's really where our government's resources should be focused, mm -hmm. is investing in the future generations. Whether you have a PhD from Harvard or you have a high school degree, you know, you're, you, everyone has a role to play. You know, our government should be investing in that. They shouldn't just be bringing in people to replace us. Um, because that's that's not what a country is for. The country is supposed to protect our people mm -hmm. and our jobs and our livelihood, and supposed to make our nation, uh, you know, something to look forward to down the line, not not something that we're dreading what the future is going to be like. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. So, for our listeners out there, how how can they see this ad, or you know, where's the best place for them to access it? So the ad is on our Facebook page. Uh, it's also on our uh, YouTube channel. You can search Federation for American Immigration Reform. Um, and the ad, I'm not quite sure what the title is, but it references the Koch brothers, uh, keep the Koch brothers out of our immigration reform agenda. Um, and you'll definitely be seeing it online. Uh, it, it is causing a bit of a stir and it's, people are responding to it well. Yeah, Julia, I'm really glad the video is getting a lot of attention. Once again, if you guys would like to watch the video, please check out our YouTube page and search Keep the Koch Brothers Out of the White House. So going off of that, let's go on to our next segment called Guest Perspectives. In this segment, we interview Angel Mom Michelle Root, who tragically lost her daughter to an illegal alien. Let's listen to some of that interview now. Um, so I guess to begin uh, this podcast, we should begin with your story. And for those who are unfamiliar with it, I think that Michelle's story is something that we really, really need to pay attention to more. And it's uh, something that is happening throughout our country today. And Michelle, would you mind just giving us uh, your story here? Sure. My daughter, Sarah Root, um, was 21 years old. She had just graduated from Bellevue University in Bellevue, Nebraska. 
She was a 4.0 student. She graduated with a bachelor's in criminal investigations on January 30th, 2016. She was out celebrating her accomplishments, one of her goals she had set for herself. And on her way home, she was stopped at a stoplight on 33rd and L over in Omaha, Nebraska, where she was rear-ended by illegal alien named Edwin Mejia, who was 19 with a blood alcohol of .241 and speeding at over 70-plus miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. He rear-ended Sarah, causing her to be brain-dead by the time she was taken to the hospital. My son had notified myself and my ex-husband that Sarah had been in an accident because the police had come to his home and let him know that there had been an accident. Had no idea what we were going to walk into when we got got to the hospital, just thinking, you know, minor injury, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Not prepared to hear that. I'm so sorry, there's 0% chance of survival. Your daughter is brain dead. Not even one thing I would ever fathom. So then as we learn more throughout the process, um, the investigator that was at the scene and brought up Sarah's personal belongings to us had um, explained to us that Edwin Mejia was in the hospital as well with a leg injury. Mm -hmm. and he was here illegally. So then, of course, you get angry, and you're thinking, how can this happen? All these other thoughts go through your mind, and we, uh, of course, after finding out all the information, because I, at that time, didn't know he was drunk, didn't know that he was racing, didn't know any of that, Mm -hmm. and then later on, you know, the investigator said, I need permission because Sarah's car was in my name and in Sarah's name. He needed my permission to get her black box out of her vehicle, and then he had to get a warrant to get the black box out of the truck that Edwin Mejia was driving. And, of course, that sent me into a rage because I'm like, he's here illegally. We don't need any uh, warrant or any of that to get that. We should be able to get it, you know. Mm -hmm. But, unfortunately, it wasn't his truck. It was somebody else's. They got the permission, and that's how we found out all the information about how fast he was going. Of course, we knew right away his blood alcohol because they tested that. But as far as the speed and all that, that came from the black box that that they had taken out of the truck he was driving, which wasn't his. And then um, we had video from there was a bar on the corner of 33rd and L that had video of the accident. So all of that compiled into one. But the worst thing about all this is, well, other than losing my daughter, was the judge set a low bond for him. He came up at 8.30 at night, was bonded out with $5,000 and fled. They didn't bother to put an ankle bracelet on him, none of this. So then, of course, we went after the judge trying to get him out of office because he had prior incidents to this judge did, as well as Edwin Mejia. He had priors. In May of 2015, there was a warrant issued for Mejia's arrest for failure to appear for some minor traffic incidents. And so that was another thing that upset us was 
what made you think for vehicular homicide he's going to show up for that court appearance when he didn't show up for these minor traffic violations, you know? Right. So so just to clarify here, he had been living in the, illegally in the country and then also had previous charges and was still not removed from the country. Correct, correct. He came over at age 16 in 2013 as an unaccompanied minor. Mm-hmm. And what we've been told, and thank God for... Senator Sass, Senator Grassley, Senator Fisher, and Senator Ernst, they're the ones that got us all the information because at that time under the past administration, they refused to give us any information stating it was against Edwin Mejia's rights to privacy, which is another whole big issue. But they got the information for us, for us from ICE, and that's all the documentation they had was came over through Nogales, Arizona, Mm -hmm. at age 16 to work because he was stopped and asked what he was coming into our country for. And it wasn't through a port of entry. It was illegally, and the Border Patrol had caught him and asked him what he was over here for. He said to work at age 16. So from Nogales, they sent him to a sanctuary city in California, where from California he was reunited with his illegal alien brother that was in Tennessee. How he got to Tennessee, I have no idea. I'm sure taxpayers paid for that as well, but again, another issue. Got there, and then they moved to Omaha, Nebraska. This makes me uh, want to ask you about another question regarding sanctuary cities and you know what's going on in Nebraska. And I know recently... Uh, in, in the legislature out there, there was a bill, uh, LB 502, sponsored by Senator Megan Hunt. Uh, and this bill would essentially make Nebraska into a sanctuary state. Um, and it's, I think that they're still discussing and reviewing the provisions of, of the legislation. But, you know, in your mind, you know, what are the dangers of, of passing a bill like this or sanctuary jurisdictions? I know, obviously, it affected Sarah. But in your mind, you know, what should we be, what should we be doing to end kind of these sanctuary jurisdictions and make sure that, you know, they're decreasing and not increasing throughout the country? Well, first off, I can't even believe that our politicians pass laws like this, and it's so easy for them to pass. You're protecting people that have broken a law. I don't care that they say it's not breaking the law coming over here illegally. It is. I'm sorry that past administration they had it wrong. That's just going to increase and have an influx of those people coming to those cities and putting the American citizens and legal immigrants who there's no no difference between a legal immigrant and an American citizen. We're all American citizens Mm -hmm. when you've done it the right way. So whether you immigrated at it, it's the same. You're an American citizen once you've went through that process. We're talking about these illegal aliens that come across or overstay their visas or however they do it that causes them to have broken a law and make them illegal. That's a first offense right there, and we should not reward that right. by making this legislation that protects them. What happened to protecting American citizens? Myself and other angel families out there have to fight tooth and nail to try to get laws to protect American citizens. It's just so backwards, and we can't get it passed as fast as these 
people are getting illegal stuff passed, you know, for illegal aliens. It's ridiculous, and it is a public danger to all of our American citizens when you have sanctuary cities or sanctuary states like that. Because most of the time, as, for instance, California with Edwin Mejia, the killer of Sarah, he did not stay in that sanctuary city. Mm-hmm. He traveled throughout the United States and ended up in the middle of the country to kill my daughter. So who's responsible for that? Who do we go back on? Because nobody, and not a, any amount of money is ever going to bring my daughter back. Mm-hmm. However, you have people that are here illegally suing states and cities and winning. That is so wrong. No. Do it the right way. There are millions that have done it the right way, and it's not fair to those that do it the right way to have somebody cut in front of them. So, Michelle, I was going to ask you about Angel Moms, and I don't know if you could share with our listeners a little bit about what Angel Moms do do and how you got involved and what you guys are trying to accomplish. Well, uh, how I got involved was we really didn't have anything out there uh, that was run by people that had this loss, you know. And so Maryam Mendoza and myself decided that we would start this organization. And anybody that had a loss, we like to call it angel families as well because it does include moms, dads, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, you know. Mm-hmm. Just And it's not like a um, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's we wanted people from all around the country, so that way we can start at our state and local levels to get legislations passed and be out there and be a voice and be at rallies and be speaking so we can get the truth out there. But we wanted to be present in public in our own states. So, therefore, we started that, and then we go to D.C., and we try to get on these politicians whether you're in the Senate or in the House, and whether you're Republican or Democrat, we try to visit those that are for illegal aliens Mm -hmm. and try to get them to listen to what we have to say because we don't have to try to be the alpha dog here. You know, we need to work together. Well, Julia, as always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Another thoughtful conversation, as always. Tune in next week for another edition of Mornings with Matthew. Uh, Check us out on SoundCloud uh, or our YouTube page where uh, we post our previous podcasts as well. Thank you again, Julie, for coming on and tune in next week. Thank you.